0: You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California. This is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome back to Win the Day. The quote for today's episode comes from Helen Keller and says, The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. In this episode, we sit down with Dr. Sonia Stribling to talk about overcoming adversity. Now, I wanna make something very clear here for anyone who wants to be a success. How you respond to adversity when it inevitably strikes is what separates ordinary people from extraordinary achievers. That's right, none of us are immune to adversity. And in fact, the most successful people use the adversity they've faced as fuel to move forward stronger and more resilient than ever before. Sonia has been faced with enormous adversity her entire life. She was born into a family as the youngest of 12 kids to parents who only had a second grade education. At age 15, she gave birth to her first child and just two years later, at 17 years old, she was raped and left for dead in a field. Sonia went on to college, but just prior to graduating, she joined the U.S. Army for what would become a 21-year career, including combat tours in war-torn countries like Iraq. While in the military, her 18-year marriage fell apart and she returned to civilian life without any idea of what to do next. Considering taking her own life, Sonia had an epiphany that there was more to her story than what had been written. And since that faithful moment, she has become an internationally renowned speaker, author, television presenter, and business coach, as well as recipient of the Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award. In this wide-ranging interview, we talk about the heartbreaking moments from her adolescence, what the front lines of war taught her about humanity, how divorce saved her life, why she's so passionate about using financial freedom to empower women, her views on the racial activism we've seen in 2020, and how poor communities can escape the poverty mindset. She holds nothing back, and I know you're going to love it. Before we get started, my brand new book, Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite is out now. If you wanna know how the top 1% of every industry make it to the top and a step-by-step guide of how you can achieve more happiness and success than you ever thought possible, this is the book for you. Just go to Amazon or wherever you buy books and look for Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite or click the link in the show notes. Thank you to all those who have reached out to already say how much you've enjoyed the book. And if you're new to the Win The Day show, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get access to episodes as soon as they are released. All right, let's get into the fun with Dr. Sonia Stribling. Sonia Stribling, so great to see you. Thanks for being on the Win the Day show.
1: Thank you so much, James. I'm excited to be here.
0: (laughs) We're excited to have you here. And you're one of the strongest people I know. You've also got about the biggest heart out of anyone that I know, and you've helped so many people all around the world. We'll get into the amazing highs and lows of your story very shortly. But first, I wanted to say thank you for your service and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place. I'm deeply honored to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much for your continued support, James. Man, you have been, you were talking about me just saying, I was like, is he talking about me? He's talking about somebody else, but
0: thank
1: you for everything that I've done.
0: And for those listening, I tell you what, to follow Dr. Sonia as a speaker at an event is a horrible experience because watching you just tear up the stage, it's, uh, it's amazing. I remember when Jen was six months pregnant with our daughter, Sophie, and we were speaking together. It was, I thought we were going to induce labor there with the energy levels that you were bringing in the room.
1: <laughs> I know for sure. I know. I hear that all the time. I'm like, I don't have to go after you, do I. It's okay. Like, hey, it's not my fault. It's not my fault.
0: It's perfect. It could, it, you uh, you jolt people into action, which I think is very important. Well, take us into your childhood. What was your life like growing up and especially as the youngest of 12 children?
1: Oh, wow. You remember all of that. Well, you know, if. if honestly, I felt like I was the only child because they were so much older. Well, it was me and um, myself and my brother who was eight years older. And then I had other two siblings. They were probably three or four years apart. So at the very beginning, everyone um, that was like two years apart. And then it got to the last three or four of us. And we were spread out a little bit. And of course I was what they call the mistake baby. And the mistake baby came eight years after everybody else. And so when I showed up, it was a little different, but it was a little different single mom. I didn't know my dad and I had to dig deep into that, James, honestly, later in life. But I, don't, I remember him being around once, maybe when I was 10, 9, 10 years old. But that's about it. So my childhood wasn't the best. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't the best. And so just being the youngest of 12 and knowing my mom had a third grade education, And my dad um, had probably, I think, second grade. That's about all I remember about him. But my mother, a strong woman for sure.
0: And your teenage years were particularly challenging. You had a child at 15 and just two years later, you were raped and left for dead in a field. How did those experiences change your mindset at the time, having that happen at such a young age?
1: Well, I can remember being 15 years old, James, and, you know, you'll see me kind of look Cause I look up cause I can like remember being in that um, hospital room, giving birth to my first child at 15 years old. And I remember them strapping me down to the table and I can smile about it now, but for years I couldn't tell that story. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was horrifying, but just really strapping me down because you're 15, 15 year old should not be given birth. But you know um, I did. And I I just, You know, it was a blessing later, but during that time, I had to grow up really fast. My mom was a saving grace, she was there. Uh, when my whole family and I'll be honest, I'm very transparent about my story. When the rest of my family wanted me to have an abortion, my mother was like, "No, that's not what we do. You made this bed, you're gonna lie in it." But it was a blessing, you know. My son will be 34 this year, but it's a blessing that I had a mother like that. It's like, "No, you did this. Um, you now are responsible for this child." And then, you know, as you mentioned before, James, two years later, in the wrong place at the wrong time, I grew up fast. I didn't, I think I skipped my almost entire teenage years almost because I was a mom and all the fun things that we're supposed to do as teenagers. I didn't get the opportunity to do that. I was busy with school, busy with a child, busy just trying to figure out my life. Um, It was a bit much, but that, you know, at 17, when that happened, it really changed who I was. I didn't think the same. I was very angry. I was very hurt, disappointed. So it was a lot to deal with as a young adult.
0: At 22, you went and joined the military, which was a career you ended up having for you know, more than 20 years. You had 21 years in the military. What was it about the U.S. Army that appealed to you?
1: You know, it's, it's so funny. I laugh about this because don't tell anybody, right, James? It was just a couple of years ago um, that I realized that out of 12 siblings, seven of, seven of us were in the military four of us were retired military and because they were so much older and I would, they weren't around. And then I, when I got older, I went to college, played college basketball and then joined the military. And it wasn't the conversations that we had because I wasn't there, you know, doing their, you know, their adult life. I was younger with mom. So it was just different. I always saw the, uh, be all you Can be army sticker on the door. And I didn't realize why I would see them I'm like, oh, this is so odd. And I see the old army fatigues in the closet, not knowing that most of my siblings were in the military at one point. And so when I joined, it was just seemed natural that I was supposed to be there and absolutely enjoyed my career in the military. I'm glad it's over. Right. Uh, But, you know, once a soldier, always a soldier. But it was an experience and it gave me the opportunity. All that pent up, I wouldn't say rage, but just like things were so heavy that I couldn't express in the military. I could express how I felt about things for sure. So it was a blessing for me to join and serve my country.
0: Well, doing combat tours in places like Iraq, and I'm sure seeing things and elements of life and humanity that other people would really have no idea about. What did that teach you about the world, having those experiences? Wow.
1: Great question, James, by the way. Wow. You asked the best questions ever. Just being in a foreign land, country girl, Wilson, Arkansas, uh, traveled the world pretty much, but never on foreign soul. And when I traveled on foreign soul for the first time now, I'm an officer because I went in and enlisted and then I transitioned, went to officer candidate school um, and found myself on foreign soul. And it was just like, wow, am I really in the desert? Like, Desert, desert, not Arizona, any place like that. But found myself in Iraq and it was just, there's a place I never want to go back to. Not in that situation. I mean, just being a, a mom and leaving my kids, you know, for 15 months. I was married at the time. So my, my husband at the time was there and he was probably about a 45 minute flight away. So you couldn't just walk outside the gate. I'm going to go see my spouse. I'm going to go see my husband. You had to catch a flight. And of course, that was dangerous. So that experience in itself is something I can't really describe. I wouldn't really want to, but I would just say it really opened my eyes to what was happening around the world. And the fact that I was a part of a war um, is... I don't know. It's just something that you don't find yourself. But I volunteered. I raised my hand and said, this is what I want to do. So I I volunteered uh, to go, not volunteered to go, but it was a part of me volunteering to serve my country. And that was a part of it. So I wouldn't take it back, but I don't want to go back there
0: either. Hmm. Yeah, I've never, obviously, never served in the military or been on tour in places like Iraq or Afghanistan. But I can imagine it would give you a very different perspective, rather than people in Australia and America who grow up feeling somewhat insulated, knowing that peace and freedom is provided for them. That I guess a lot of people take for granted. Um, yet there are people out there who are doing these things—extremely brave heroes—who are out there every single day doing these things to to give us the freedom to uh, have people sleep soundly in their beds without worrying about it on the front line i think america actually does a a much better job in australia as far as acknowledging uh you know military histories and other people who have gone on to to serve so i think that's a That's a good one. And you've had all these, you know, these wild experiences, some of the things that we've that we've touched on. When was the moment in your life where you felt empowered for the first time that you felt that maybe, uh, you know, you had more power than what you ever thought possible?
1: You know, I would say that turning point for me, and I always describe this, it it was I was lying on my couch. Matter of fact, in this very home um, some years ago, and I was lying on my back James and I was just reflecting my life all the things that we spoke about and at this moment I was in a very deep dark place like depression all of that I'm just recently retired from the military after serving 21 years and I just wanted more it was just this pull like okay you cannot live like this there's got to be more you see it on television you you know you see it from celebrities and stars it's like well is that real? I don't know if it's real, but I want something where it's going to bring me happiness. And I just remember crying. I just broke out in tears and I'm so grateful. I didn't have lashes back then, James, because they would have been all over the place, but it was just rolling on the floor and like, okay. And and as a woman of faith, my prayer was, please don't let me, don't let me live like this. And and because uh, as a woman of faith and a believer in God, it was, God, please help me. Don't let me live like this. And I had children. And James, if I can be very honest and very transparent, I was at the moment where I was really literally about to, wanting to take my life. I didn't want to be here anymore. It was just way too much. Thinking back, you know, being married for 21 years, um, having a child at 15 years old, 17, those things happened. And again, a marriage after 18 years, ending in a divorce that took three years to dissolve. It was a, it was a bit much for a single mom right? Of three kids. And I just sat back and like, okay, there's gotta be more. So if you're not going to let me, cause I just thought it was a complete sin, I'm not taking my life. So please don't let me live like this. And I just remember said, okay, turning point was just use me and whatever capacity you think I fit in. And I found myself very quickly after that on social media, sharing my story, sharing my life about divorce and all these women would come and they would come and It seems like I was helping them, but it was helping me, too, because everything that was pinned up on the inside of me, I could share it very openly. I'm very transparent about my life. And most people would ask, oh, my gosh, inbox messages and all of that. So the turning point when I realized that there was more for me to do, when I began to bring a smile to somebody else's face, helping them get through whatever they were going through, it blew my mind. No one ever talked to me about it. No one ever shared that, hey, you can tell your story. You can share. But that's exactly what happened. And it changed my life forever.
0: That honesty and authenticity is such a a big part of your personality. And one of the things I love most about you, well, you had this 18 year marriage, which, you know, obviously you just mentioned that broke up and that was a really difficult time in your life that then went on to inspire the book. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and, and more about what the book means to you and the lessons from that that you help other women with today?
1: Well, you know, the book is called uh, The Divorce That Saved My Life 12 Principles to Overcoming a Broken Relationship. You can go and find it on Amazon and at the bookstore. But the book was just more of my story, but it wasn't just my story, it was tips and tools for women or men or whomever that read it that could really help them walk through the journey and to know that divorce is not the end, it could be the beginning if you want because in itself, that book was my story of how I overcame all of the, you know, the trauma and the pain in my life and the disappointment and the divorce in itself. And it really walks um, individuals through just identifying the problems and why you're in broken relationships and why we choose the mates that we choose and all of that. So it was a part of my give back and really sharing the very intimate parts of my life. And it was just inspired because I had to get it out one day. I was like, you know what, I want to write a book and didn't realize how challenging that was. But even to this day, I cannot read it all the way through without crying. I was like, who is this? And how did she survive knowing that it was me and I was a part of this big movie, but it helped someone else. So that book was just something that I just wanted to give back and not just share my story, but help someone else write their own story.
0: I love it. I recently had John asaraf on the show, the mindset and, and brain expert. And he was talking about using the past as a guiding, post not a hitching post and it sounds like you had something similar what was it about your life that made you want to work with female empowerment in particular which of course led you having your own tv show and a whole bunch of amazing opportunities speaking in places like brisbane australia where i'm from and and traveling the world speaking to packed audiences
1: well it was just just knowing that It was just time. I I can't really put my finger on it. I have to be honest. I ask, people ask me all the time, what made you do? What made you help women? Well, the truth be told, James, I didn't want to really help women. (laughs) Just didn't. I wanted to focus on just men. Because simply simple fact of because I'm a woman, I know what we do with all the nuances, the ups and downs and the roller coasters and all of that. But of course, the universe and God had a different plan for me and women begin begin to come and they begin to come. Men do come and I do coach men as well, but it was mostly my focus and my heart was for women because all of the things we deal with. You know, we, we we multitask so much. We have so much on our place. We're our husband's wife and we're our children's mother and we're the caregivers for everybody else and people are pulling at us. And I realized like, you know what? What if I can help another woman get to where I am? Not saying I made it to the mountaintop, but I sure feel like I have. And I know it's just the beginning. So I just decided, okay, let me help some other women build their business. But, you know, there was a smart woman one day, James. And I was on stage. And as soon as I finished and I came off and I was uh, talking, speaking about the book and about relationships and being a divorce coach back then. And she tapped me on the shoulder and, I, and, you know, the team was around me. And it's like, well, you can go get your book. I'll autograph it when I get there. She said, no, 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 I don't want a book. My marriage is great. My relationship is amazing. I want to know how to do what you do what am I doing? I didn't realize I was doing something. I was just doing at the time what I thought was necessary and needed. It helped me, but it helped other women. And she said, I need a coach. And at that moment, that's when I stepped into this role of being someone else, not just a life coach, but someone else's business coach, because all they wanted to know was how do I do what you do? How do I build a six figure or higher business? And I was like, wow, I am doing that. At that time, I made a million dollars in my business just helping others, Not really thinking of it as a business, which is crazy. That's a whole different story in itself. But then I realized, James, is that they were asking. So I began to build something, not something, but something so massive that would help women change generational wealth take them on a journey to help other people and really change the trajectory of their life and their business, if that was their choice to have.
0: And you're you're very candid and open about talking about money, yet it seems to be almost a taboo subject in the US and Australia, and people seem to have this unusual relationship with money where they don't understand it very well. Tell us more about this mission about helping others build wealth and build freedom. And why is it do you think that people have, or so many people have this misconception about the right relationship with money?
1: I think it's all from our childhood around the world. I mean, I used to think, James, it was just for, you know, women and men that were in the US. And when I began to travel to London, um, places like that, and then, of course, Australia and Canada, it was like when I would say it, it was like, oh, did you just say money? I'm like, wait a minute, hold on a second. And so I really took it upon because a lot of people shy away, you know, you have celebrities and they're artists and you have these singers and people on TV, you know, people try to tell me, or you're that person. I'm still thinking I'm this girl, this country girl from Wilson, Arkansas that came from absolutely nothing. And that made something was blessed enough to build such a life and lifestyle for my children's children's children. That's, I love saying that because it's not just about me. And so when, You know, you start talking about money. It makes the world go around. I don't care what anyone says. And most people who say it's not important normally don't have any. And it's not necessarily just their fault. It is just more about what we've been taught along the year, along the way and along the years. And it's something about I can sit at a table, James. Right. And we can have a conversation about money. But if I look at the table, if it's mostly men, the whole lay down about money, no problem. Women, very shy about having conversations about someone paying for your services, wanting assuming that people are going to just give freely and know that you're worth all of that. And I wanted to change that thought process of you sitting at the table and being very confident about who you are and what you bring to the table, because you wouldn't allow someone to do that in a job. You somewhat know what you're worth, but why is it so different when it comes to business? That's the, the pathway I want to change for women to know that they are worth so much more than what they give themselves credit for and what they allow others to put a price tag on them.
0: Yeah, it's such an important mission. There was something I heard you actually say in another interview. If you didn't come from a wealthy family, let a wealthy family come from you. What does that mean exactly?
1: Oh, wow. So I was sitting in church uh, some years ago, I think it was, and I, I love stories. And I, Visually, I see these sitting in church, and my son uh, was home from college, Um, no, he was, was he in college, first year of college, high school, I think his first year, freshman year of college. And the pastor said something very similar to that. And my, at the time, young adult elbowed me. He said, mom, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. Oh my gosh, James, my face, I'm beginning to swell with tears. I start crying so hard. The simple fact that my youngest realized that Our lives or his life, his children's life are different because of that. So when you hear me say uh, publicly and in books and wherever that if you didn't come from a wealthy family, let a wealthy family come from you just because you came from nothing doesn't mean your family has to carry on that tradition. It means you get to create whatever lifestyle that you want. And so it's just been my mantra. I don't want my children to suffer the way I did or the way my mother did and things like that. And it's not just about the money. It's about being rich. Is more about being wealthy and teaching them different ways that they don't have to always go get a nine to five and always have to go to school because school is not for everyone. But there are other means to create wealth. You just need to know where to find those ideas and the strategies and the tips and tools to do so.
0: Certainly, when you, when you equip people with all those different skills and elements and they understand personal finance and wealth, it means that when we get confronted by something like a pandemic That hits where I think it's more than 40 million Americans at some stage this year had filed for unemployment benefits and you don't have to worry about relying on on anyone else. And this year in particular, it's really shone a light on racial injustice and all these different things. And to me, one of the most alarming statistics is that the average net worth of a black American family is about $17,000, whereas for a white American family, it's more than $170,000. At a community level or at whatever level you think you want to talk about, what can be done to help balance this wealth gap? Because clearly that is a a very real statistic of of a problem.
1: You know, it, there's so much. And I was having this conversation with my uh, one of my sons that's home. He plays in uh, National Football League at times. And then he was coming over to Canada to play. But of course, they closed the, the borders and all of that. And we were talking about, you know, the years you know, from slavery and all of that and all the things that were happening. And by the way, James, when this took place, I think for eight days at the beginning, I cried every day. Every single day, I was boohooing. I could. not I had to stop watching social media because everything was about it. And now, I did. I know what was happening. I literally felt like it was happening to my family. I have three young black sons, and so it was just calling them all the time. You know, one was home, one went back to college, and the middle one came, and then the oldest one was in Arkansas. So I'm constantly on the phone, making sure that they're okay. And then, even during the pandemic, I'll be honest, my business tripled. And it is simply because I got the opportunity. I work from home, but I was doing a lot of traveling, you know, before COVID, but I just made the pivot and I start working from home. And I started thinking about not just, just the, the community and the the world, but what about, you know, us as um, African-Americans and what we can do. And I truly believe what has happened is we have not been educated at the same level that others have. And what I mean by that, just case in point is talking to some of my uh, Caucasian friends or anyone outside of the black community, the conversation some of them are having at their kitchen table per se wasn't about survival. It wasn't about that. It was about, hey, when you get 18, if you don't go to college or you need to go to college, you can get more education so you can be the accountant in our business or you can do those things. They were having conversations about business. When I believe in my community, we were not having, I know I didn't have that conversation with my mom not at nine, sitting at the kitchen table, like just say, hey, we're going to eat today. What are we eating? And do you have homework? It wasn't about the future per se, other than graduate, get a good job, graduate, go to college, get a good job. That was the conversation. And what I believe that our community is missing is the education to have your own. A lot of things that we're doing, and you know, James, I think you and I talked about it. It was It was so disappointing. I've been in military 21 years. Did I see racism? Yes. However, but most of the time when I was in the room, James, I was a senior person. So, you know, hey, you may not want to do that with her. And if I wasn't, I was in there with others. It was just a respect thing that was mandated through the military. And when I retired, I saw the world different. So I felt like I'd been sheltered a long time. I'm not saying racism doesn't exist in the military because it absolutely does. But what's happening in the world now is at a whole different level. And so I think... Um, For us, we haven't been shown a few things, but I also think we have to take responsibility and not think it's about looking good and, you know, having these nice things or nice hair and all of that. There's so many other things that I've learned along the way, you know, just to say that I'm the first millionaire in my family is a big deal. Sometimes I get choked up about it. My children know, you know, my family knows I'm the youngest, but I had to take on opportunities where they weren't always offered to me. I had to go find them.
0: Yeah, I love it. And you know, when we talk about things like access to education, which I think is so important. And to me, the education where I have really learned the most in a practical sense is actually doing things. It's solving real life business problems. It's not necessarily what I learned at elementary school or high school of which I really remember probably zero (laughs) It was, it was from having my own businesses. And I know that there's a lot of associations that are out there working with communities now to try and give people this real-life business simulation. So I hope that there are more aspects of communities, especially in the low-income communities all around the world, that can start to teach those entrepreneurial skills, especially um, now that the barriers to entry, given that all you needed really is an internet connection and a phone to start learning more about real-life business.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is 2020 is a year of the expert. And if you have some life experience and knowledge, you know, this year, James, we launched a new, um, I would say, a platform, a journey. And it's called Kitchen Table CEO. And it's just that it is just more of taking your life experience and the knowledge that you have to be able to create generational wealth, because people are picking your brain all the time. They're asking you your opinion on things and we just give it away and not thinking that you actually have something on the inside of you that many people want. You don't need 100,000 people to make $100,000 anymore. You need a handful of people that are willing to invest in themselves and you take them on a journey. When I learned that, it changed the game for me. I was sharing with a, uh, one of my colleagues that was in the military 28 years, and he was talking about he just written his book and he's doing all these and they great things. And I said, if I would have known what I know now, And I've invested a lot, James, and I'm sure you have as well, invested a lot in my self-development, but also in the business that I saw for myself. Did I imagine one day it would be a multi-million dollar business? Absolutely not. I just wanted to make $10,000. I wanted to replace the income from the military. And that began to happen not just by the month and by the week and by the hour. It was like Wow. I have my hands on something. I, if I'd have learned this years ago while I was active duty military, I probably would have gotten out early and not retired. So it happened at the right time. But I've learned so much about wealth, the difference in wealth and riches and in just really creating your own table. And I love the saying too: write your own check when you're able to do that. No one can take that from you and not even a pandemic.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Having that resourcefulness and, of course, the resilience that you've been forged from a from life of all the challenges and things that you've, that you've overcome and a lot of the mutual friends and things that we have are all about making sure that we can learn the lessons from, from that adversity and that it's never, it's never fatal unless we accept it uh, as such permanent defeat versus temporary failure. And you mentioned systemic racism before, and I know at the moment that's a, you know, it's very much a hot topic all around the world. What the events that's happened in America have created these, this activism all around, you know, all around the world. It's in a, Australia too. Um, so the difference between obviously in any topic, there's always two sides. So it seems to be one side is focusing on systemic racism about uh, the whole system is against people. So we need to, and and it's, it's based on an evil foundation, which we need to change if we're to create change in people's lives. And then on the other side, it seems to be individual accountability where people are judged on their actions. And then those actions, good or bad, create, you know, lead to those circumstances down the track. There's people like Denzel Washington, who noted that how we raise our children is the best indicator of success. And he cautioned against blaming the system because it disempowers us as individuals. And then there are other people like Oprah Winfrey on the other side, who believes that systemic racism is a very real and evil problem, and that society must make big changes now if we're to move forward. Uh, a lot of you know the research and things that I've done in the, over the last six months to try and learn so much about this stuff has led me to you know, realizing things that the Civil Rights Act, I had no idea it was signed in 1964, which really isn't that long ago. We know that uh, intergenerational trauma is a very real thing where the trauma that one person faces can actually get carried down um, through, you know, through children. Um, And before things like the Civil Rights Act, which really created desegregation, people weren't even able to use the same community pools and things and, and other spaces, which is just uh, crazy to me. Um, and you were the one of the, I think you were actually, if not the first person I called when all this stuff was going on is to check in and make sure you were, you know, to see how you were doing. And, you know, to, obviously to ask you ways that I can help and, and be part of the conversation and learn more about it too. But now that a bit of time is, has passed, I wanted to ask your perspective on what you think about the events that have transpired in 2020 and, and how you feel uh, about the activism that's, that's happened on, you know, on all sides and what you think people can do uh, to move forward with unity as the objective because it seems at the moment that people are just more divided than ever, which obviously doesn't help anyone.
1: Well, you know, the social injustice that's going on right now is, is that I've learned more in 2020 about history than I've ever thought that I missed out on. I didn't know anything about Black Wall Street. I learned about that, you know, the killing and the massacre of a whole town of, you know, Black business owners and they burned the city to the ground, that area. So just wiped out families. We, we had our own banks. We had our own stores. We, we were manufacturing things. And just to know that happened and simply because of, of the story or what happened and the, they massacred all these people. But I start thinking about, James, of, of this just a simple thing. And this is how I think. Where did we get? or what happened many years ago, 400 plus years ago, to think that because of someone's skin color, that they're less than. You have to think about how imbalanced someone is to think on that level, and for it to carry over hundreds of years, even to today. And so I started thinking about when when you hear the conversation, James, about Black Lives Matter, and then you say all lives matter and all of that, and I had to sit down one day. It's almost like, James, you're married, right? It's like your wife coming to you and saying, honey, I'm not happy today because this is what you did. The wrong thing for James to do is to say, well, I'm not happy either, right? Well, wait a minute, I came to you first. This is not a tip for tat. I came to you to let you know that I'm not happy. Can you help me work through this? help me understand why do you react the way you do in the way you're acting toward me, honey, James, is because you see X, Y, and Z. It is not the time for James to say all lives matter because all lives matter is not the case in point right now. It is about Black Lives Matter. It's not saying everybody is not important. That's not where we're, where we're not saying that. We're saying right now what we see in society is there are a lot of Black people being killed. There's a lot of injustice for the Black community and we want something done. And so when I sat back and I never really thought about this before, again, I was in the military. I believe I was very much sheltered from what was happening in society. Well, I'm no longer sheltered. I'm wide awake. I see what's happening. And I'm not very happy about it. And not just was I at one point I was very angry. And I started when you even when you raised that, I wasn't angry at you. I was angry at the fact of how did I miss this? How thinking I need to do something. And I wasn't okay. Eight days crying, thinking these are my children. I have three. Oh my gosh, if someone called me, there would be a chaos in America for the struggling family because I'm not gonna rest until something is done. And so what I believe is happening is just some of the old thought processes that people have had. They have instilled it in their children. But for as unity, it's just time. I'm loving that Nike and you know, Sprite and all those folks, national platforms. Are bringing awareness. You know, you see tennis pros wearing a t shirt, say her name, um, and things like that. And then you watch the football game um, the other night. I watched football because you know, I'm a football mom for sure. And just watching to see what they've done for Unity. And there's some people standing up, but there's still some people that are quiet. Why? It could be about, you know, the bottom line, honestly, what's on that paycheck. And if you say something, and that's just keeping people quiet for that, it happens. But, you know, sometimes we got to get to a place, James, where it's not all about the money. It is about justice and being right and fair. Um, But, you know, we have to do something. We can no longer go back to the way we were. And I'm very interested to see what the upcoming years look like about social injustice. And when we ever get to a point, it's going to be a process for sure. But I'm curious to see what it looks like at the end of the road, at least during the time that I'm alive for sure.
0: What's interesting about what you said there uh, to me was at the start how you mentioned that when someone talks about, hey, I'm not happy because of these events that have transpired rather than the other person getting defensive, which we know makes both sides defensive and, and nothing good can come as a result of that. It's about saying, cool, we see you, we hear you now, let's, let's unite and help alleviate this problem. Which then means, if there's any other type of unresolved issues from the other party's side, then it means, cool. Well, let's let's now meet and address the the next issue. But starting off by uniting and, and approaching a a um, you know something that's a very real and important and significant issue together seems like such a great way to move forward, rather than each side getting defensive and and um, yeah.
1: Can you imagine us all working together? And that in itself, I would love to see that. I believe we're on our way. We have some some ways to go, but it has to start from the very top, from leadership, and that's the thing that needs to be changed and challenged more so than
0: anything. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you're a mum to three boys. I'm now a father to to a very energetic 16 month old. It's funny when you when you become a, a father or a mother. It's almost like the fears that you have for yourself almost get passed down. Like you worry then about what's going to happen to your to your children, and I, that seems like a weird feeling to say, knowing that that fear of how I feel about one child would be amplified to the three children that you have. What is the greatest fear that you have for your for your children as a mom?
1: Um, that they will be judged honestly by the color of their skin. That they will not get a fair um, shake in life because you know um, all three of my boys now have dreadlocks. Not something I'm a fan of, right? Not because of a race or anything. I just don't. I like clean cut, military. And but they look very nice in their in their um, their dreads. They are athletes, too. So it is just assuming that all young black men are thugs or gangsters or like loud music or whatever, um, very much educated, you know. So is this my fear that they will not be treated fairly because of their skin color and they're very educated highly respectful young men. And that that would be my biggest fear. But the second fear that I know I have a responsibility in is that they will have a poverty mindset, not under my watch. We're not playing that game at all. And I'm adamant about that, that it is not a woe is me, even though there's a pandemic happening, even though there are leaders that are not, you know, looking out for your well being right now and all of that. I want to give them something and I almost want to say um, fireproof or pandemic proof, but at least that they're not in poverty. Now, if they make decisions along the way as they get older and they do that, that's fine. But I don't want to raise them in that thought process. So a lot of the ways, James, that I used to think about, things have changed Because of what's happening right now, a lot of people having to make decisions because of the pandemic, what they do financially and things like that. But just as you know, about a week ago, I started a real estate company for my kids, for my children, myself and them. That was the best feeling in the world that I can change generational wealth because of how, how much I've invested in myself, the things that I've learned. So they don't have to go down that pathway and they can create the level in which their next level if they want. Do they still have to deal with some racism? Yes, but I don't want it to be one where they're dealing with racism and they're in poverty.
0: Yeah, that poverty mindset, it's such a such a big thing. And I feel like it's about, uh, you know, obviously the, the reverse of that, having a wealth mindset or an abundance mindset, a growth mindset, whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to call it, I think is about as, as good as a gift as you could give any any child on their on their journey through life. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Uh, let's now go to the win the day rocket round where we ask you 10 questions for some quicker answers. Are you ready for this one, Sonia?
1: Okay, real quick. Okay, yes.
0: Number one, what quote inspires you the most?
1: Who? wow. Mine. I don't know what I said. If you didn't come from a wealthy family, let a wealthy family come from you. Or there's one by Helen Keller. It is, oh, gosh, I have it right there. I should have known that one. But it's her talking about, she'd rather be blind instead of having sight and no vision.
0: Love it. Very powerful. I love both of those quotes. Number 2, morning coffee or evening wine?
1: Neither, hot tea.
0: Hot tea. Good. I love a hot tea as well.
1: Tea is uh, breakfast, yes.
0: <laughs> Number 3, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self?
1: Don't marry him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that might be the best answer we've had to that question on this show. So well done.
1: <laughs> oh, marry him. Yeah, that would have it for
0: sure. <laughs> the John Asaraf one was Don't Do So Many Drugs. So I think oh, the, wow. the, okay. the answers are getting better and better on the Win the Day show. Sure. Number, number four What book do you gift the most?
1: Ooh, Thinking Grow Rich. Absolutely. Napoleon Hill.
0: Nice. Number five Was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower?
1: Oh, yeah of uh, the fear of being successful. I was very, uh, I didn't want to do anything because I was afraid I was going to be successful and I have to keep that up.
0: Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? About what? About failure.
1: It doesn't exist. No, I'm just joking. Um, that it really can help you get to your next level. I look forward to failing, but it just gives me a, a stepping stool to get to the next level and know not to do that again. So I don't fail that way. But Every time I fall down, get back up. Fall down seven times, get back up eight.
0: Love it. Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be?
1: Oh, Oprah Winfrey and Michelle Obama. Oprah's on the left, Michelle's on the right.
0: Nice. That'd be good content for your next TV show as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Number nine, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business?
1: Oh, man, that's a good one. My alarm clock, <laughs> my scheduler. Honestly, my scheduler is for sure because I'm like booked like on the hour. So many things going on: TV, books, interviews, all of that. So my scheduler. I have to be. I have to be honest on that one. Yes.
0: Yeah, easy to get overwhelmed, but if you've got that schedule there, you can make sure you keep moving forward on all the, you know all the different things that you've got going on. Number nine, second last question: Share one thing on your bucket list
1: oh, this is so hard. One thing on my bucket
0: list. Can I give you three? Real you quick? can give me three. Yeah, I was going to say you've already ticked off Australia, which is nice.
1: Yeah, it, absolutely. I want to own my own plane, a jet. Um, uh, the other bucket list is that I want to have another national platform where I inspire over, I would say a million women to build their business. That's one of the things. And the third one, Gosh, I want to be remarried and have a happy, joyful and peaceful and loving marriage.
0: Love it. Three very good answers. And final question, what's one thing you do to win the day?
1: Oh, my goodness. I wake up every single morning and I say this very thing, who can I serve today to their next level?
0: so good. I knew this interview would be amazing. Thank you for all the incredible things that you have shared. Connect with Sonia Stribling on Instagram at I am Dr. Sonia and via her website, drsonia.com. Is there anyone, anywhere else where people can go and connect with you?
1: Hopefully on national television soon, but right now those those will work for sure.
0: We will update the show notes once you get that national TV gig to include a link to that. But Sonia, thanks so much for being on the show. Always great to see you.
1: Thank you, James. Amazing at this. Thank you. (laughs)
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sonia. Her story is an incredible lesson in overcoming adversity that she'll give you hope no matter how difficult things appear at first glance. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button. And if you want to help support the show, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Win the Day with James Whitaker is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to grab your copy of my brand new book, Andrew Carnegie's Mental Dynamite, available now in bookstores around the world. Just hit the link in the show notes for more information. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.